Welcome to The House Podcast. We hope today's message resonates with you and inspires you as you grow in your understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. We're glad you're here. All right, well, at this point, I'm going to invite up Josh to come and share with us. Uh, It's so excited to have Josh with us. Josh Rain is the pastor of spiritual formation at Trinity Church just across town. Um, If you've been around in the last couple of months in particular, uh, you will know uh, our lead pastor, Chad, is on sabbatical till the end of the year. And so that means there's a few spots where we are kind of filling in some guest speakers. And I am so excited to have Josh with us. Um, Josh is not only doing really, really important work, we we kind of bonded uh, right before COVID. (laughs) Um, I was looking for pastors who could like encourage me because I need encouragement. And uh, Josh, uh, we, we connected and immediately uh, connected over some authors that we like, some churches that we, we like, and just kind of a, a general, we sort of swim in the same stream when it comes to spiritual formation and what it means to follow Jesus. But I'm really excited to have Josh with us because he, uh, when we think about this series that we're in, The Great Invitation, mm-hmm. What It Means to Follow Jesus, um, mm-hmm. I I often think of Josh. He lives a life that is compelling uh, in how he lives. It's it's integrated. His internal and external world are integrated in such a way that makes following Jesus look compelling. And so I've gotten to know him and gotten to know his character and uh, know that you're going to be blessed by him. So why don't we welcome Josh as he comes to share with us this morning. Oh, those are big words and big shoes to fill. Uh, Oliver, so thanks so much for that. He doesn't know that I've quite literally just been like meditating on the word compelling for like the last six months uh, because I do think that the life Jesus calls us to is the most compelling thing. And uh, we're going to jump right into that today. So if you have your Bibles with you, open them up, pages or screens uh, to Matthew 5. We're going to dive in to his Sermon on the Mount. And just the first 12 verses, I'm going to read them aloud. Uh, with uh, you on the screen, you don't have to read aloud. I will read them, but just follow along. Uh, so Matthew 5 Verses 1 to 12, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, we're going to cheat, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is God's word for us this morning. Let's uh, join in prayer before we dive in. God, we thank you so much. You put this invitation out there to be blessed by you, to be able to step into your kingdom. So guide us now. May we have ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to understand what you have brought for us this morning. God, 
let us hear your voice. Holy Spirit, come. Amen. So as I first approached Matthew 5, uh, one of the things that I believe is important to know about Jesus is that the gospel is this, according to Matthew, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Yes, he lived and died and rose again to save us. But most importantly about the life of Jesus is the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. So I started to think about other kingdoms that we are seeing right now on the regular. And uh, I don't know about you, but were there any people who followed the death of the queen and the new king really closely? Yeah, a little bit. No, it's okay. You can put up your hand. I'm not going to like turn the tables on you and be like, Jesus is the only king. It's okay. I, pr I promise. <laughs> but it was very interesting because I've exposed myself enough to Canadiana as a, as a kid and growing up uh, to understand that the queen did have a pretty significant role to play in our lives. But I didn't know this. The morning that the queen passed away, there was a citizenship ceremony happening in Canada. And immediately, the words of our oath of citizenship changed. Now, most of us probably don't have to worry about the oath of citizenship. Many of us in this room are born and raised in full-blooded Canadians. But for those who are looking to embrace life and be a permanent citizen of Canada, you would participate in a citizenship ceremony that begins with an oath, and the oath starts like this. I swear or affirm that I will be faithful and bear true allegiance to His Majesty King Charles III, King of Canada. Within a few hours of the Queen dying, everything about how we welcomed citizens into Canada changed. And how does this actually matter to us today? Well, we see Jesus, who's been walking around Palestine, teaching, preaching, healing people, and he walks up on top of a mountain, well, as much as the hills in Palestine and Israel are mountains, pretty much kind of like the mountains that we have around here. They're not like the big ones in Bam for Revelstoke, but like, they're like these ones. And he is surrounded by those that he has been healing and he's been inviting into the kingdom. And he says this, blessed, blessed are you. Blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. This is, this is Jesus creating an oath, creating a set of promises for what it looks like to be in his kingdom. This is the constitution of the kingdom of heaven, the manifesto to mark this revolution that he's inviting in, the promise of what it looks like to be in the kingdom of God. And this is really important because all those that he's been inviting in, along, in and along the way, they're part of either two kingdoms, the kingdom of the Jews or the kingdom of the Romans. One is marked by a works-based culture of Israel. Stay in the lane. These are the laws. Stay pure, come to the temple, do this, do that, pray now, sing here. This is the way that they live. And the kingdom of the Romans, virtue obsessed. 
inspired by Aristotle, much like our Western culture. Be high-minded. Be above the world. Rise above yourself. You can do it. This is the world of the Romans. And Jesus, who has collected a motley crew of those who needed physical healings, those who needed release from spiritual darkness, the religious elite, Roman officials, he invites them in. He's about to point out what Oliver pointed out a couple, uh, I think it was just last week. There is a gap between the life that we have in our own personal kingdoms and life abundant, what it looks like to live in God's kingdom. There is a difference between just living happily and embracing a social gospel and really what he's inviting us into. Matthew is highlighting the attributes and the characteristics of what it looks like to be a citizen of this kingdom. He's unmasking all the rules, all the authorities, all the powers that would compete for God's sovereignty. And he's inviting them into an immediate impact. The blessings come right here, right now, as we realize that we are living into a kingdom of God that's both now and not yet. The people who were invited to sit, who had gathered around at the feet of Jesus, they were experiencing something brand new. They were being awakened to what had been suppressed, what had been put down, the longings of the Jewish people or the oppression of the Roman Empire. They were being invited into a new way of living. And so as Jesus sits, he begins to organize life around himself, calling people to a rule of life that despite their cultural context, compels them to live into the fruit of the Spirit that will come with the church. So it's really important to understand what's happening here in the midst of it all. We sometimes think that we, we are ourselves, the disciples sitting there watching Jesus teach, having it all together There's nothing about having it all together that we see here in the person of Jesus. He's out in the wilderness with people of diverse backgrounds, from different contexts, cultures, some who've just had demons thrown out of them, and others who've had their first meal in a long time because they are just hungry. Others that are the religious elite, that sit here and want to know who this new rabbi is. Or those in the, in the Roman setting, they're wondering what is going on as this man stirs up something new. The crowd is diverse, but they all are united in one thing. They are longing to see how this person of Jesus, who is God, is going to finally put things right. And we see what Jesus does. He begins to mark out what it means to be living a blessed life, not to be living the hashtag I am blessed life, but to actually be the recipient of a blessing that comes straight from God, that sets people apart. 
as those who sat at the feet of Jesus on this mountain were receiving. He's inviting people to enter into his kingdom, to develop a, a new relationship between God and his people, between the God who is sitting there teaching and those who are sitting there hearing his voice. One thing before we dive into the next uh, part of the sermon is I, I want us to understand that every time you read, blessed are the poor in spirit, or blessed are blank for, this for is creating an unbreakable bond between that faithful person, their character, and the redemptive act of God that's going to take place in their life. So wherever you find yourself as we read through these verses, consider what is being locked in, unbreakable, by a promise, an oath, a covenant, a manifesto in that word for. So uh, this would be, have been very familiar for the disciples. This type of teaching shows up all over Jesus' teachings throughout the Gospels. It not only shows up here in the Sermon on the Mount, but also the Sermon on the Plain in Luke, and it is the undergirding for everything that Jesus will do. Really what the Beatitudes are, is the moment, what the Beatitudes are is the groundwork for what it actually means to, to, when Jesus says, pick up your cross. So there's three sections, three verses at a time that Matthew recounts for us. As we talk about what it looks like to be restored into the kingdom of God, what it looks like to be renewed into the kingdom of God, and what it looks like to be redeemed in the kingdom of God. So we're going to jump right in the first three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, and blessed are the meek. This is where we see God stepping in and restoring what was broken. Saying that those who are blessed for being poor in spirit don't have to worry about a, religi a religiosity that's high and mighty. Just simply be poor in spirit. Yes, poor in reality, those were sitting there in the midst of who was listening to Jesus, but also simply those who feel like maybe the church has turned their, turned their back on them. Blessed are those who mourn. This is pointing straight to the brokenhearted. We all find ourselves in this moment at times. What are we grieving? What are we mourning for? Well, we can step into this type of kingdom and know that we will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the humble here who will inherit. Those who have not stored up their riches in the things of this earth, but will actually receive a full inheritance. The promise actually we can see of a new heaven and a new earth. A, a revisiting of the garden. This is where we see God making these promises, restoring what was in the garden, restoring the brokenhearted to, to those who can be full-hearted, restoring those who feel like they've been left out. The next set of three, renewing. God is helping us to understand. Jesus, in the, who is God, is helping us understand what it looks like to have a new sense of longing. 
those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're not caught up in what they hunger and thirst for with their fleshly desires, their, what they feel passionate about, what they simply, an itch they simply need to scratch. No, those who hunger and thirst for doing it the right way. It reframes everything because they will be fulfilled. Blessed are the merciful, those who, instead of giving what some, they think someone deserves, the justice that they think is owed to them, they will be merciful. Later on in the verses that follow, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, God, forgive me as I have forgiven those around us. And blessed are the pure in heart. This is a direct shot at what Jesus has seen in his 30 years of living up until this point. Not just pure. Don't be pure to enter into the temple. Don't be pure for the sake of purity. What does it look like to understand that God is looking at us both on the outside and on the inside? To understand that he will open our eyes where we put on blinders when we just need to get things right no receive a purity of heart and let's open ourselves so that we might see God this is what then stirs in the people of God those sitting at the feet of Jesus to receive a full measure of everything that he promises to get, bring something new about in them to bring honor, to bring joy, to bring revival. Here, this is the place where God is making all things new, inviting people into a born-again type of life that is marked by righteousness, that is marked by forgiveness, that is marked by a vision of what only God can do. And the last three, redeeming. Blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the persecuted, and blessed are the, those who are insulted. Because God is stepping into each one of those situations, redeeming a situation. Taking what is long gone, what is pushed away, what feels really just distraught, anti-peace, really war, what feels so conflicted and saying, come, be a child of God. Inherit the kingdom and understand the blessing that I'm pouring out on you. This one is a very interesting one. And I was talking to Matt between services, leaning into this peacemakers becoming children of God. Uh, it's been very interesting to watch uh, and be reminded of my kindergartner now in grade one. Uh, what is the first instinct of my beloved son when he wants justice? Put up the fists. <laughs> oh my goodness. The number of times where I've gotten kicked in the shins or tried to pull him off his sister. But... When a child becomes the peacemaker, the pendulum swings. What does that look like? It looks like this. A child comes with open hands and an open heart. 
This is our call to push aside conflict and to come. This is what it looks like to live a life that will be blessed. And this was the manifesto that Jesus was reading over the people. Each one of these phrases will resonate with each one of us differently. But he did it in the midst of a community. He did it speaking over people of diverse backgrounds. People who have pledged their king, their allegiance to a kingdom that was outside of what God had for them. And they were now being invited in. And we receive this same invitation today. We receive this same invitation today. If you find yourself poor in spirit, on the outside looking in, when, when you find yourself broken, grieving, enter into his kingdom. Enter into a sacred space like this where you have a community that is for you. Scott McKnight puts it this way, he, where, where the love of God is articulated as a rugged commitment to be with, for, and unto each other. This is the love of God, to be with each other gathered together, to be for each other, speaking good on each other's behalf, and also to be unto, to be each other's champions. In the midst of grief, in the midst of brokenness, when you need restoring, renewing, redeeming, this is what we are for. So what does this mean for us today? What do the Beatitudes mean for us today? Well, that same Scott McKnight warns us a little bit about how to approach the Beatitudes as we think about it. Because this is what he says. As ideals, the Beatitudes can become formulas for power rather than descriptions of the kind of people characteristic of a new age brought by Christ. Those Jesus does not tell us that we should try to, uh, th thus Jesus does not tell us that we should try to be poor in spirit or meek or peacemakers. He simply says the many who are called into the kingdom will find themselves so constituted. They will find themselves so committed. They will find themselves in such circumstances as these. And they will receive power from God. They will have words spoken over them like Jesus that makes it right, that renews, redeems, and restores. Jesus is not telling us to be poor in spirit. He acknowledges that we will be and that he will bring us into what he is doing, which is new again. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a pastor in, in Nazi Germany in World War II, said this about those who are inheriting the kingdom. The heir of the kingdom is one who does not sue for their rights. They do not make a scene when injustice is done to them. They do not want rights of their own. They want to leave all justice to God. Yes, we will find ourselves in spaces and places that have us out of sorts, that have us grieving together, that have us poor, that have us hunger, hunger, hungering <laughs> and thirsting, that have us rebuked and insulted, insulted. But that is the place where God meets us. That is the place where we find ourselves invited into his goodness, into his faithfulness, into a life with a God 
who speaks about himself like this. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. One who is creating a community around him that is broken and disenchanted and seeing all things new. That is understanding that they've experienced the person of Jesus healed, restored, well-fed, and invited into a brand new way of living. People who have heard an invitation into God's kingdom. The same kingdom that started in a garden, lush and full, as he walked in the midst of his creation. The one that Jesus then brings back through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, and the one that will come as he sends his Holy Spirit to be in us and with us. And what I want for you to consider today, a situation where we have an opportunity to now, by the life we have been called to, the oath that we have received, we have an opportunity to invite others into. So what invitation will you receive today? Who in your life needs restoring? Where is their brokenness? Like a vase broken at the feet of Jesus that is restored and made whole. Who in your life is just broken that you have an opportunity to invite into God's kingdom? Who in your life, who needs renewing? What does it look like to put off the old and invite someone into new? And who needs redeeming? Who needs someone who they are seeing and believing the worst about themselves needs for you to walk alongside and say, God is on your face. You are made in his image. God is doing a new thing in you. He knows you, he sees you, he loves you. This is what it looks like. So who do we have in our lives? Who needs to move from brokenness to wholeness? Who needs to move from old to new? Who needs to move from set aside into redeemed? The early glimpses of the church are marked by people who are pursuing a life like this. Inviting others into righteousness, inviting others into peace, inviting others into joy, inviting others into spiritual power that changes them forever. Has them committing to a new kingdom, something that they would have never asked for or imagined. How can we now experience the goodness of God, this promise that he set before us? Because these blessings that we've seen in the Beatitudes, 
are for each one of us today. This is what we have. And please know, as we think about who needs restoring, renewing, redeeming, being blessed by Jesus has nothing to do with one's condition in life and everything to do with an invitation to a God who loves them, who is calling them to love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, to love yourself and to love others like it. This is the invitation that we have. So I invite you in this morning. Would you pray, pray with me? God, you are good. You are a good, good king who's inviting us into a way of living that we could never have asked for or imagined. But you are making all things new. You are restoring the broken. You're redeeming those who've canceled themselves out. So may we have a role in that today. May we receive this invitation to know a God who is compassionate and gracious, full of loyal love and faithfulness. May we step into it today as a community sitting at your feet. In Jesus' name, amen.